between the worship and that video you guys did for me, I, I got to like collect my thoughts. That was awesome. Hey, it's great being with you guys tonight. Um, I'm going to invite a friend of mine up that I'm excited for you guys to get to know. Uh, Matthew Daniels, can you guys join me up here? Give him a hand. Hey, go, bro. Hey, man. Welcome to the Yam Fam. Hey, hey, hey. How y'all feeling? All right. We are in this series of conversations that we're calling A Better Story, and we're looking at the story that God invites us to be a part of in the Bible and why that's better than the other stories this world throws at us every day. Sometimes we don't realize we believe in a story, and the good news of Jesus invites us to be in a better story, a better story about God and a better story about you. And so this month, we're talking about the identity that God invites us to believe about ourselves. And so I wanted Matthew to come and have a chance to share a bit of his story and how God's worked in his life in this way and for you guys to have a chance to get to know him. So Matthew, can you just introduce yourself to tell us a little about like where you're from and how you came to know the Lord? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm going to scoot. I just feel like we're so close. Hey, but you, I mean, I don't mind me? being close to you, but I feel like if I spit and I start going. Um, no, my name is Matthew Daniels. I'm, uh, I'm from a little town called Goldsboro. Does anybody know where that is? Is anybody from Goldsboro? Didn't think so. I mean, I, I always just ask, just in case. Um, moved to the West Coast when I was young. Um, I've been living in Raleigh for a total of like six or seven years. Um, I have a beautiful wife named Jaylene. We've been married for almost four years. We have a little girl named Zoe, and she's the cutest thing in the whole world. Oh, my gosh. She's incredible, and we actually have one more baby on the way due in March. And so, yeah, it's so fun. It's crazy. I'm getting old. And, uh, but, um, yeah. Not, not even close. <laughs> I will my body tell. I'm actually, guys, I'm getting shoulder surgery tomorrow. Did you know that? Oh, you did. Okay. You've been praying for me all night. We're going to pray for you about that tonight. Amen. If the Lord chooses to heal me, I'll cancel the surgery. Um, but anyways, I will. I, I mean, I believe you can do it. Um, but anyways, so yeah, and I've been a pastor on staff actually at Hope for the last year. And Honestly, it's just crazy to me that I am, uh, you know, it's funny, it really is a joy and honor that I'm a pastor, and I really do count it as a joy, but I think it's just uh, the Lord and how he works. Paul says in one of the scriptures, he says, I think, I'm paraphrasing, but he saved me, the least of these, to show his incomprehensible mercy and grace, and I think when you hear a little bit of my story, I think just, that's what he does, uh, there's nothing special about me, Definitely didn't bring anything to the table when it came to my relationship with God. And so it's just a testament. You know, growing up, I don't know if you guys grew up in dysfunctional families. Well, let's just be honest. Probably all of us have dysfunction in some regards. There's no perfect family. That's true. And uh, so uh, when I was like two, my real dad went to prison and kind of he spent most of his life in prison from like probably when I was a young kid till I was actually 21, 22. And my mom got married five different times. And so, man, I grew up in just crazy dysfunction, abuse, um, you know, pretty much any kind of abuse you can think of, sexual, physical, emotional, just um, the different guys that came in my house were similar to my dad and just, just, just crazy. My mom was broken. And so she, she, she married into brokenness. And so that just, we had two older brothers and we just kind of Grew up in that environment, and the thing is, when you grow up in that environment and you don't know love and you don't know hope and you don't know peace, you just start looking in all the places to try to find it. You know what I mean? Because the truth is, it doesn't matter what kind of family you grew up in, if it was the most incredible family or if it was just real jacked up like mine. The truth is, is that we're all looking for something. 
You know what I mean? And at first it might be in your parents and the love that they have as a reflection of God if you grew up in a great family. But the truth is, at that point, I remember in middle school, I remember like, I do not know where to turn for anything. Like, it wasn't like I sat down with my counselor and was like, hey, so, you know, tell me about your life and what you're looking for. I, no, I, did, I didn't know what I was looking for. All I knew is in middle school, I was like this angry kid that wanted to fight everybody. And I, I started playing football. So I started like, my mom was like, I think you need to be in football. And I was, at first I was like, no, nah, but once I started hitting people, I was like, yeah, this is fun. And then, but it was just, and then. I know what that feels like. You know, yeah, you, yeah, you played back in the day better than me for sure. And uh, so football became, and then it was like football after like a year. I mean, I still played, but it was fun, but it was like, ah, it was still empty. And then for me, it was girls. Girls was the big thing. Like, I don't know if there's any brothers out there that can relate, but I was just like, man, if I just get me the best looking girl, man, like. I will be good, man. I remember dating. And guys, a little side note about me. In middle school, I was five foot two, okay? Is there anybody that's five foot two here? No? You are? Can you just stand for the crowd, please? Just so. Give okay. Savannah a hand. Savannah. Yes. Thank you, Savannah. Okay. I was five foot two, 165, okay? So I was, I was a left tackle. And while I'm telling you that is because the chances of, I thought at the time, me getting the best looking girl, but somehow I did. I ended up dating this girl named Dominique. Long story short, it didn't work out. This guy moved from out of state and he was way cooler and way bigger. She left me. We got in a fight in front of the whole school. He knocked me out. It just wasn't good. It was a bad situation. Um, that's a whole story. And that's a true story. And, um, and then kind of in high school, I just kind of you know, it was the world painted this picture, a culture painted this picture of, of all these different things. And I, so I, the next thing was money. And I was like, man, well, you know, and I, I, was, I, f- I forgot I was going to send Corey a picture, but I could send you, show you all later. But I started, what were you going to say? We'll put in the Discord. Oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot. Discord, it's a new thing. Um, and um, I mean, I was, I started selling drugs, thought I was a little gangster, like for real. I mean, I used to carry around a pistol. My head was shaved. I had piercings. And like from like sophomore to senior year, I just kind of was found a lot of identity in that. I was like, man, these dudes, I found some power. It was like, oh, I had some power in my life, so I felt good. And I had a lot of money. Like people were like, man, how did you buy that? And like back then, I had this big screen TV, and it doesn't sound that impressive then. But back then, I had this huge TV, and my friends would come over and be like, where'd you get that? And I'd be like 11th grade. I'm like, yeah, I bought it, man. You know what I mean? But I just like, I had found so much identity in all the things that I possessed, the power I had. And then by the time senior year happens, you know, I just was like, didn't end up, obviously, I just, school, I could care less about school. I had no purpose. And at this time, I'm like, I'm not good at anything. The only thing I'm good at, making money, getting girls and selling drugs. That was just kind of the lifestyle. And senior year, though, that kind of was like, it became empty to me. And I remember from like 17 to 19, I just started spiraling deeper and darker into drugs. And see, that's the, the it doesn't matter if it's drugs or whatever it is, the, the lie behind whatever we're chasing that's not God is that it promises something way better and it under delivers every time. And so I started spiraling, spiraling, spiraling. 19 years old, my ex-girlfriend got pregnant. And um, I remember, I remember it was like it was yesterday. I was 19. She was a senior in high school, and and I grew up in the South. And so I don't know if y'all, if anybody grew up in the South, but I knew morals. I knew right and wrong. Like I knew abortion was wrong. I knew sex. I knew that was wrong. And I always thought, man, people that go to church, 
are just old and boring. That was just my concept of like, because I went to church one time on my grandma and it was a Baptist church and they would get up and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, and then sit back down and I was like, and I would just remember thinking like, dude, maybe when I'm 70, I'll check out church. But like until then, so I'm saying that even at 19, I remember having this, like I was at this crossroads and I remember thinking like, man, I know abortion's wrong. I grew up learning all the right things in certain ways in certain contexts, but um, like four months into pregnancy, we decided to have an abortion. And I was in Seattle at the time. And I remember I went into the Planned Parenthood in Seattle. And I was as close as I am right now to Corey. And I'm like going through this whole process. And man, it was, I was already in a very dark place. But that was, that was definitely one of the darkest moments in my life. And I remember, I remember when I left. And, you know, obviously I didn't know God. And I didn't know what any of this meant spiritually. But I just remember feeling like this this weight of shame, like this might have been the worst thing I could ever do in my life. And six months started spiraling, ended up homeless and because I just was strung out. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to deal with my brokenness. I didn't know how to deal with my shame. I didn't know how to deal with anything that was going on in my heart. And then 20 years old, um, one night, it was three o'clock in the morning, I was like, I'm done. Like, there's no point. There's no purpose. I don't know, some of you guys don't have to experience all I've experienced to even feel that. I'm sure there's somebody who's felt that in this room. You might even be feeling that tonight. But I just remember coming to this place of like, what is the purpose? Like, what am I here for? Like, I don't get any of it. All the brokenness, all the pain, it was all this wait, wait, wait. And then I was like, I'm done. So I tried to take my life. Um, I popped like 25 pills. I drank a fifth in an hour. And I remember the last thing, I went and actually bought more pills. And the last thing I remember it was like 3.15 in the morning. My ex, I was with my ex. I locked her out the car, and she was screaming, beating on my car window. I mean, like, screaming, and I was just popping these pills because I wanted her to see what I was doing. And I don't know if I thought that was it or what happened. I just remember, like, I woke up four and a half hours later. I blacked out, and I didn't remember, like, I didn't remember those four and a half hours. I woke up, and I legit, my car door was open. I'm laying right outside my car, and I'm literally laying and throw up, and I didn't remember anything. And um, I remember when I woke up, number one, I was like, what the heck am I still doing here? And number two, I remember thinking, like, what in the world is my purpose? Like, what? This is, a, is this a, like, why am I, st-? I thought, like, I was dead. And I remember crazy, I cried for, like, three hours. And crying for me back then was big because, like, I held up all my emotions. And back then, it was like, yeah, dudes don't cry. And I'm like, yeah, I don't cry. But I remember that day, I remember that morning, I just wept for three hours. And leading up to that point, there was this dude named Ruben. And man, Reuben was this annoying dude who used to always try to, me, try to tell me about Jesus. And I'm for real, man. Like, Reuben would be so, and if this is y'all, I'm so happy for you. Seriously, everybody needs to be a Reuben. But I was homeless, and he would, like, buy me food. And, like, so we'd sit down after he'd buy me the food. He's like, bro, just listen, okay? Like, there was this sea. Okay, and it split open, and they walked right through it. Like, he would try to tell me these, and I would be like, bro, like, I would, I'd be like, Reuben, bro. I'm good, man. It's, it's annoying. I would tell him, bro, you're being annoying. And, he'd say, and he would be like, all right, man, let's just eat. And then literally the same exact time, like a month later, bro, let me tell you. Like, there was this little, he did a slingshot. And he, you know, he would try to tell me. And I'd be like, bro. But crazy enough, that morning, I remember like, man, this dude Ruben's got something different. I wasn't thinking like, oh, Jesus is my savior. I wasn't thinking that at all. I'm like, maybe he's got, like, some kind of pill or something. I don't know what I thought, but I'm like, man, if I can hit up Reuben, maybe he can give me that happy pill or whatever. And so, because he was always so happy. I'm like, he's not really this happy. But that morning, I woke up, cried for three hours, and I said, you know what? I'm going to hit up Reuben. 
So I called Ruben, and I told him everything I had done. And I said, man, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. And he's like, bro, you should come to this summer camp our church is doing. And I was like, is there going to be girls there? And uh, <laughs> that's just a true story. He's like, oh, bro, there's going to be so many girls. That's what he told me. And uh, <laughs> so legit, like, I, I, I show up to this camp, and there's like 500 college students there, for real. And I'm like, this is in Seattle still. And this dude named Judah Smith, he was like a well-known pastor. That's why this college ministry was huge. And so anyways, I show up, and I'm like, y'all remember what if, I wish I had the picture. I was like straight off the streets. And so I show up, and I can imagine, just imagine uh, your retreat coming up, some dude coming, and like, I'm cussing on the basketball court, and I'm like, what the, am I doing here, you know? And like, this big black dude, no joke, he's like 6'5", 240. He comes up to me from the basketball court, and he came and put his arm around me. He said, bro, you need to chill out. And I was like, yes, sir. You know what I mean? But at that point, I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, man, whatever you say. But crazy enough, he ended up being the best man at my wedding, became my best friend. But he said, bro, you need to chill out, man. I was like, all right, you know, just all right, man. But that night, man, this dude was preaching. His name was James Murray. He was the guest speaker from Australia, and he was talking about how this man named Saul became Paul. And the whole time he's talking, I'm like, he's like, you know, I don't know if y'all been in the service or you're, you've, you've been hearing somebody teach, and you're like, dude, this dude's talking right to me. And I was mad at first because I thought, I thought Reuben had told him my story because it was like word for word. And I said, man, and Reuben, did, this is crazy. Reuben, we, I ended up, he ended up getting me a job at Red Robin shortly after, and I ended, he ended up taking my shifts so that I could go to this camp. So Reuben didn't even go to the camp. So I'm there pretty much by myself. And so anyways, I'm sitting there. I said, that's why Reuben didn't come. He told him my story. Like, I get it. But I was, and I was mad for like the first five minutes. I'm like, this whole church thing, man, he told him my whole story. But the more he got to talking, I was like, my heart started beating. I started sweating. And I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit convicting anything. And he's talking, and the whole time he kept talking about this man named Jesus and how he offers real life. And he offers real peace and real hope. And you've been searching all these things. And he had this mask on and he took it off. And, you know, before you know it, I'm, my heart is, I'm like, what is going on? Just heart beating, I'm sweating. He does the whole close your eyes thing. He's like, all right, I'm going to count to three. One, it doesn't matter who's around you right now. Two, somebody right now, your heart is beating so fast. And I kid you not, I thought I was going to have cardiac arrest. Like my heart was just like, I mean, it felt like my heart was, and he said three, and I do the quick, like, you know, really fast. I'm like, I don't want anybody to see me. And he's like, actually, everybody open your eyes. The Bible says, if you deny me before a man, I'll deny you before the Father in heaven. But if you acknowledge me before a man, I'll acknowledge you. He's like, this is not something to be ashamed of. And at first, I was like, dang. And he's like, if you, if you raised your hand, I want you to just stand up. And I don't even know what overcame me, but I run to the front of this altar, five hundred students. I end up standing, sitting, laying on my knees, and I just start weeping for like 30 minutes. And he didn't even tell us to do this. I started repenting of every single, he didn't say do this. I don't know. I was so overcome with the weight of my sin. I was like, I mean, I went back to like fourth grade, this girl I kissed. I was like, God, please forgive me for kissing Laura. <laughs> like for real, I started like all the way from fourth grade and just worked my way. And for 30 minutes, I just sat weeping, crying. I don't know what was happening on the round. And I mean, at the end of that, I just said a prayer. I don't even know what I prayed. I just said, man, God, Jesus, I need you. If what he's saying is real, I want you. Amen. Whew. I remember that was August 10, 2009. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. It was like the first time in my life. Uh, if my whole world was shaken for 20 years, it was like this peace 
just came. And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been looking for ever since. And, man, that was August 10, 2009, and I was like, oh, my gosh, Jesus. Like this, what? I mean, I went crazy. I, was, I loved Jesus. I was like, it was death to life. This is what salvation is, is you were blind, but now you can see. I'm dead, but now I'm alive, and that's what happened. And I ended up going to Bible school the next year. Not, I didn't, never thought I'd be a pastor. I'm like, I went to Bible school just so I can learn about God. I was like, where do people go? I remember asking, like, where do people go? Because all my friends, and, like, for real, I went back to my friend group, the Lord delivered me from drinking and smoking and all that. And I told him, I told him what happened to me. And they're like, so I was still hanging out with them though. And I was like, I'll still chill with y'all, y'all my boys, you know. And when I, when people would come in the room, like, hey, don't, don't pass him the stuff, man. He's, he's, he's a priest now. That was their way of like trying to understand what happened. They're like, hey, don't pass him that. He's, he's a priest now. But man, God just did this transformation journey, man. I mean, it's, it's not been easy for sure. It's not like in that moment, all the healing happened, all the brokenness and my dad issues and my mama issue, all of that, the abortion. All, I mean, that was still is a process, but that was, uh, that was full. I mean, I know you said I, I got 25 minutes. Did I just take all 25 minutes? Bro, you, you, I, you were flowing. That was, well, I, praise, really appreciate, but, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing how you came to the Lord. Can we just give him a little encouragement? Um, just praise for God. Praise um, God. I'm curious to know a little bit more about this identity shift for you as you receive this new life. How, how did God start writing a better story about your identity? Like, how, how did that process happen for you? Yeah, man, I think it was, man, you don't even, there's so many lies that we have ingrained in us. I mean, it really is, our identity really starts with what we believe. I mean, your actions come as a result of what you believe. And I you don't realize over the years, whether it's your family, whether it's relationships you were in, even or even things, decisions you've made and what you've told yourself. And I started to realize like my whole life was like a, a web of lies. I mean, it was just like the more that I understood truth and who Jesus was, I was like, dang, I've been believing lies my whole life. And there was like four kind of core lies that I started to identify, and I'm sure some of us can relate to all of these, but as I thought about the better story and I think about how Jesus shifted my identity, the first one was, I am alone. That was the lie that I believed, the identity of like, I am alone. And I'm left to figure out life on my own. The decisions I make, how to navigate pressure, all of these, friendship, fathering, none of that. I didn't I remember when I became a Christian, I remember thinking like, well, I'm not, I don't have great relationships with guys. All my dudes were drug dealers and all this. My relationship with girls suck. I only could see it as an object, all of that. So I remember like the Lord completely transitioning the way that I viewed relationship. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have brothers. I have sisters. The truth is God will never leave me or forsake me. And so some of these key things with my identity. And then another one I used to believe a lot is I am what I do. And y'all know, man, we still, like, it could, be, it could be good things or bad things. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I still ask it all the time. I meet somebody, hey, what's up, man? What's up? Cool. What do you do? I mean, that's the first thing we think of when we meet somebody. We identify ourselves based on what I do. The lie is that my value and my identity and my significance is based on what I do, my job title, my accomplishments, or the other thing, my failures, some of us have been so wrapped up in a failure, and that is our identity. Well, I'm just this, or well, I, and that becomes what we identify. And so I had to revolutionize what the better story was, is, is I'm not what I do, I'm what God has done. 
I'm not what I do. I'm what God has done. And that revolutionized the way that I thought. It revolutionized the way that I viewed myself. Because I know so often when you base your identity on I am what I do, yo, it, one day you might have a great job. One day you might not. I'm sure all, some of us can relate. One day you might have a great, great relationship. Next you don't. And so when it's all on what I do, and, it, and that leads me into the next one, I am what I have. That my, the, my value and my identity comes from, from what I possess what I've accumulated, what I own. And it's easy sometimes, especially what it could be a little or a lot. See, it goes both ways. Um, but the truth is I belong to God. That's where my significance and value. And so there's like these, these lies I started to identify that God started replacing with his truth. And probably one of the, the second biggest one for me was I am what others think. Like people pleasing like was such a big thing for me is like my, the lie that I believe my value and identity comes from others, what they say I'm worth and what they think about me. That was hard for me because the actions that happened to me growing up, it was so like, I'm not worth that much. I'm not that valuable. I suck. Like dudes did this and they did this and my mom did this. Like in the lie that was so ingrained and the truth is that God's thoughts define me. And so, yeah, there's so much there, man, but it's really like I think the Lord really started through getting to know him, getting to know truth of like at some deep ingrained lies. And that happened through some counseling, man. I spent years in counseling. I like I needed help to be able to discern that because sometimes you don't realize the lies you're walking in. Um, I needed community. You know, there was a lot of things God brought father, father figures in my life. So it was it was, it was really the people he started surrounding me with, too, that helped me to write a better story of what he was doing through the identity I had in him. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I, I think we all have different stories. Not everyone here might have the same story as you, but we all face those same lies. And we all struggle to figure out who we are. And when we think we're alone to figure it out and to carve our own path, that can lead us down all different pathways that lead to all kinds of brokenness and leading us very far from who God created us to be. When we think we have to define ourselves by our feelings, our desires, our mistakes, our, our past, the way culture defines us. And that's why the better story that God invites us to is to build our life on truth and who God says we really are to him, the one who created us. And so I appreciate you being vulnerable about your journey with that. And one thing I want to encourage you this month as we start this growth challenge of prayer together is to spend time reading one particular book of the Bible. We're actually going to spend time together unpacking the book of Philippians. It's a letter in the New Testament, and it's four chapters. And so I want to encourage you to read that book this week and start looking at what does this letter say about who you are to God? And then you're going to have a chance to talk about that in your groups next week because we're all fighting these battles. And so I'm curious, I had him do this ahead of time. So as you read through Philippians this week or some things that stuck out to you, is there a particular passage that spoke to you or about your identity? Yeah, man. I mean, I think, Paul, if you think of a dude that had identity in Christ, man, dude's a beast. Um, but for real, I mean, this guy's writing a letter, first of all, from prison, okay? Like, you know, sometimes we believe our identity is based on where we currently find ourselves, And it was evident to me, Paul's like, man, I'm writing here in chains, but I'm not really in chains because the gospel's not being held back. And I counted as joy to suffer. And, and, and what's happened to me has been happening. So all through Philippians 1, man, you see just Paul. Because when your identity is locked in in Christ, your circumstances don't define you. Your pain doesn't define you. And you can see Paul. Paul's just 
Like, he's so locked in and knows Jesus has got him. That's his son. Like, that didn't define him. But my, one of my favorite passages ever um, is Philippians 3. I don't know. Did y'all put that up? I know I sent it to you. but yeah, we got it. Oh, man. Um, yeah, that's it right here. You can get up and read it if you okay, want. Okay, thanks. I know, I know. I'm like, man, brother, I, <laughs> I need my glasses. That's why I told y'all I'm getting old. But this is good scripture, man. You know, Paul, he's writing this letter, and he says, for he... For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. So he's getting at these. He's like, yo, if, if you want to start talking about things we can boast in, let me tell you a little bit about myself. He's like, I'm circ- I was circumcised when I was eight days old. These are like, if, if you're reading this and you're not familiar with the Bible, it kind of can feel weird. He's like bragging about this. But, to, you know, I'm circumcised when I was eight, you know, eight days old. But he's really showing, <laughs> it's the Bible, man. He's really just trying to show, like, to the Jewish, like, if, if you think people are based, their identity is based in how good they are, how righteous. Let me show you like how righteous I was apart from Christ. And so he's kind of speaking to some people, religious people, when he's saying this, I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. He's like, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Check this. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And I just love that. Because, like I said, Paul was a G. In his old life, he was a G. Because the religious leaders like, yo, this dude's a beast. Like, he obeyed the law. He was helping to kill Christians. And so, I mean, in those days, when he started listing those qualifications, man, it was like... You ever read somebody's resume or you hear somebody's resume and you're like, yeah, you're a beast. You know what I mean? Like, or you hear something like, oh, I went to Harvard and I worked with Bill Gates for 17 years. And, and also I worked for, I was in the office with Clinton. I was served as his secretary, whatever it is, whatever that would impress you. And you listen to somebody's resume and you're like, dang, you got it going on. But then imagine them getting to the end of all that and be like, man, I used to actually think that stuff meant something. It doesn't mean anything when it comes to actually knowing who Christ is and living in a relationship with him. And that's the core of identity. That until you know whose you are, you will not know who you are. Until you know who Christ is and that you are his, nothing else will matter. But when you have Jesus, y'all probably heard it before, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's the truth. And that's, that comes straight from the text. Not Tim Keller or John Piper or whoever wrote that quote. And I believe until Jesus is everything, nothing else will matter, truly. And so I, I love that passage just because I remember reading that like, man, this dude got it. He wasn't some like bum, like this dude was a beast when it came to the religious law. And he was like, man, it doesn't matter. When it comes to my identity with Jesus and being in relationship with him, nothing else matters. Yeah, 
It's huge. So I, I want to encourage you to guys to go on a quest this week and, and really read Philippians for yourself and ask the Lord to show you what he wants to teach you about your identity in Christ. And then as we begin to learn these truths about ourselves and, and we recognize the lies maybe, the, like I loved how you said that, the web of lies that you believed about yourself. It's not like that battle goes away when we're knowing Jesus. Actually, the battle sometimes intensifies internally. So could you just share a little bit practically, like for you and your journey, your daily life with walking with God now, like how do you try to fight that dark side how do you try to combat the lies that you tend to believe about yourself? Yeah, I mean, when I think of this, man, you think of the first time that identity shifted in the Bible. Genesis 1, he gives him identity, said, man, making you in my image. He gave him purpose. And then what was, what was the first thing? Genesis 3, Adam comes and, or Adam was there, but the serpent came and he basically said, hey, if you do this, you're going to be like God. The lie that was in there is they were already like God. If you see Genesis 1, he said, I'm going to make you like God, made in his image. And so the thing about as soon as after that they, they partook of what the one thing, which I'm sure we all would have done it in that situation. I mean, I'm, you know, I don't, we'll talk to Adam and Eve when Lord, Lord willing we'll get up there. But um, the, the Bible says in Genesis 3, it says, look, look at this. We don't have to read the whole thing. She saw, she ate, she gave some to her husband. He said, ooh, let's eat this. We're naked, we're good. And then it says, at the moment they ate, their eyes were open, and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So what they do? They covered themselves. And when God came, later on you see, it said they hid from God. And, and I think it's the same thing today, man. I think Satan, when he came to tempt Jesus, tempt him in the wilderness, Oh, if you're really the son of God, just questioning his identity, trying to get him to question what God said and his identity. And so for me, practically, like when I see how the enemy works, man, I think I know myself. I'm responding the same way to the darker side of my souls, to shame, guilt, fear. My first instincts are to get shameful, cover up, and hide from God. That's the tendency. And I had started having to see. So how I deal with it now is learning the truths of God, that I don't have to hide from him. That's what the enemy, the, the enemy, it, if he can get you out of relationship with God to not go to him, he's good. Because he knows when you are with God and when you are connected with him, that's where the power is. And so, man, I think that was one of the hardest things to break through because I would like, God, I'm, I'm never going to do anything wrong. I'm never going to sin. I'm never going to look at another girl. I am going to look for you all my days. I'm getting married to you, Jesus. And like two days later, I'd be like, oh, dang, I jacked up. And then I would, be, I would go through this whole cycle of shame, guilt, and like beat myself up, beat myself up until I felt better. Like, all right, I've, I punished myself enough. Now I can come back into the presence of God. And I started to realize, man, the most truest thing about me is that I'm loved by God. The most truest thing about me is that I am loved by God. And that, does, that, that never changes. His love for me, the moment I was sitting there on the, on the ground at 19, 20, going through that, is the same love he has for me right now. And that started to blow my mind of like, dang, his love really is not based on my performance. It's based on what Jesus has done. When I am in him, when I'm identified with Jesus and his righteousness, I have gained through faith in Jesus Yo, like, 
that is, that's a game changer for the way that I live. And my daughter, she's two, and um, <laughs> I love that girl to death, man. I'm, I'm really going to be messed up when she gets older, like when I have to buy her cars. And I say plural cars because whatever she wants, she can have. But um, Corey has older girls, and he knows I'm just speaking from the two-year-old. But when she messes up, y'all, I, uh, what you got a comment to make about? Good luck don't with, don't good pop luck my bubble. That. Do not pop my bubble, Corey, okay? But when she messes up now, I mean, she's too young for like a spanking or anything. And so I, I have a talk with her. And she's, it's not like I yell at her or anything. I just bring her to the corner, but she does not like having the talk. Because I'll be down and she'll like say something to her mama, say, Zoe, one more time. And I'm, we're going to have a talk. No, dad, no talk, please. And, uh, but anyways, at the, when, I, when I do have to give a talk to her, I'll, and I imagine, you know, sometimes God's love is like this. You know, I, I'll take her to the corner and say, Zoe, did, did mom tell you not to? Yeah, 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 like the, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I said, if mom tells you not to do that, should you listen to her? Yes. And then, okay, so are you going to listen to mom now? Yes. And at the end of every time I say, I always I just give her a big hug, give her a kiss, say, daddy loves you. And I think I started, even after having a kid, but even during my process of, the darker side of my soul, I started to realize, like, God's not intimidated by my mess. He's not intimidated by the things I've done. And I don't excuse what my daughter's done, and I don't think Jesus is like, you're good. You know, I mean, he, he died. He paid a price. And I think you feel that when you, the darker places of your soul, but to know that his arms are always open. Man, it just, it changes. There's, there's, because there's no other love that's like that. You got a friend that you, you, you mess up? Yeah, he's like, nah. We base all of our friendship transactionally. Not all of them, but sometimes we do transactionally. But I started to realize his love for me never changes. His arms are wide open. I'm forgiven. I stand forgiven. I'm adopted. Yeah, that's the thing about adoption. How many, when you foster somebody, sometimes they go back to the parents. When you adopt, when somebody goes through an adoption, like, they are theirs. My daughter is in my family. She will never not be in my family. I don't care if she's 16. She's like, I hate you. I don't want to be in this family. She's never not going to be in my family. She's been in my family forever. And the Bible says in Ephesians that we have been adopted before the foundations of the world into his family to be his sons and daughters. Like before time began, he chose each and every single one of us by name. He knew all the junk. He knew it all. He saw it all. Like, he knows it. He knows it all. Like, there's nothing hiding from God. God says it's all exposed before him. He knows it all, and yet he can still look at it and say, yep, I want them. I'm going to die for them. That's the joy set before me. And I think that, you know, sometimes people are like, well, you know, Paul was teaching this doctrine to the, in Romans, to the, in, writing in Romans, and they're like, well, then if, should I keep on sinning? Like, because you hear that, and it's like, Dang, God loves me that much. But when you start to see that love, that's really what changes your heart. True love changes your heart. And so I think, man, I think when I started to really, in the moments I jacked it up, or the moments I felt it's turning to God, because in the day started getting shorter that I would not go to him, or my, my times, and then it was like in the moment, man, say I lost my temper in my heart, or whatever it is. It could be little or big. I remember just like being able to run to God right there in that moment. And I think, 
those bedrocks of being adopted, being forgiven, being loved right where I am, being, being in his family, it just it started to shape those moments as like, I'm a son. I'm not an orphan. I remember one time I had this picture. I was just praying with the Lord, and, and uh, it was this like, it, just kind of this image of I had this orphan mentality. And what I mean by that is, like, I had this picture one time, and I was like standing outside of this mansion, and I was eating out of the garbage. I'm like, what the heck? Like, garbage is nasty. But it was like the Lord was speaking to me, like, I've given you everything, but yet you still keep going to the, to the garbage, trying to get all your stuff from places you don't need. And I started to see, like, God's like, everything I have in this house is yours. Like, come in. You need joy? Come on in. You need peace? You need forgiveness? Come in. And I started like, but an orphan feels like, it's kind of like the prodigal son. He ran away. He's like, I'll just be whatever. I'll be out serving. I'll be whatever. And, and you see the father runs from afar off, embraces him, say, Throws him a fat party. He's like, let's do it. Like, I'm giving you everything. Like, I'm putting the robe back. Like, there was no gap in his love, and his, it didn't matter. And so I think those types of truths just, it just changed everything for me, really. So learning to not hide and come towards the Lord and come towards other people with your stuff is one of the most healing things. And receiving that this, the truth of this word is for each of us to learn how to, to feed on in our hearts and to believe that truth. And so as we kind of close out this time, is there a final word of encouragement you'd want to give the Yam fam? Yeah, man. I was just going to sound funny. I was I do a men's study on Wednesday mornings, and we were going through James 5 this morning, and it talks about being patient, look at the farmer. And I'm like, all right, man, all these farmer things. I don't, I don't know what it means to be a farmer, but I just started thinking like, man, there's so much – that goes into this process of being a farmer. You think, man, you got to get land. Then you got to prepare the land. And you got to believe something's going to happen. You don't just throw down seeds. So you're holding on to some type of faith and hope. Then you plant the seed. Then you got to water the seed. Then you got to take care of it, all of that. that. That is a process. And I just like the thing in, that just comes to my mind right now is wherever you're at, man, is, is, is trust the process. I know that could be a little hashtag trust, but, but for real, man, you'll, and especially at young adult age, and I'm, what is this, 20 to 35, 40, well, I'm, I'm, he's not going to invite me young back next year. Young adult is choose your own adventure. <laughs> I'm saying that to say I think the older I get and the more I see how faithful God is and sovereign he is and his plan is perfect. It might not be perfect in our eyes, but when I had this, like in my 20s, man, I was just like, even after I became a Christian, like, I got to get married, man. I'm like, I don't care. Like, she loved God. She worshiped God. Let's do it. And <laughs> I'm for real. I was just like, I, I, I idolized marriage, and it was hard for me to trust the process. And so I ended up in two relationships, serious relationships, not getting married. And I praise God for it. But I just remember always feeling like, I got to, I got to, God, you got this, but I got to manipulate some things so I can help you work out my will for my life. Like, that's kind of how I lived. And I was like, I got a Bible degree. I don't study, but it was, there was this part of my heart that I hadn't really given over to the Lord with my life to be able to trust him. So a final word of encouragement is wherever you are, whether you're in a great season, everything's going great. Or you're really struggling to really see God at work and, and the promises in your heart that you're trying to believe him for is. And I hate to be so cliche about it, but 
really leaning in to trust God and trust the process because when I think back over all those years, I ended up just, all right, God, I got you. Let me help you. And then I'd end up in a ditch, and I'm like, all right, God, you're right. You know, and, and I just, I went through that so many, I'm so stubborn. I don't know, is anybody else stubborn in here? I was just, I'm so stubborn. God, I'm like, I always learn the hard way. I don't think I've learned one time the easy way. My daughter's not going to be like that, right, Corey? You have, to, you have to trust the process. Hey, nah, but that's, that's really what I'll tell you is like, Whatever you're believing for, you're hoping for, um, dreams in your heart, desire to be married, desire for kids, desire for a certain job, whatever it is, man, when you walk through that with the Lord, the way he unfolds it, finally, after that second one, and I was like 30, 31, I'm like, all right, God, I can't do this, you know, I mean, I'm a Christian, I've been walking with the Lord for almost 10 years at that point, and I remember like, all right, God, you do it. And man, the way he works. And I'm not saying, trust God, in four years you're going to have a BMW, a wife, and a car. You know, I'm not saying that. It's not, I don't know how it's going to work out. But all I know is that when I've put it in God's hand truly and trusted him, it's way, way better than I ever thought it could be. Thanks, man. Can we just give him some encouragement for sharing? Yeah, trusting God is a is a daily surrender and learning to depend on him and trust and obey. Jesus invites us to follow him every day. And that's why we need each other, because we're not meant to do that alone. So thank you for sharing your story. When we share our stories of what God's done in our life, it gives other people courage and it gives other people hope. And so thank you for doing that tonight. I'd love to pray for you. Is it your right shoulder? And uh yeah, would you guys join me in praying for Matthew? And then I'm going to invite Tommy up, and he's going to lead us in a chance to respond. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for Matthew. Thank you that you've adopted him as your son through the blood of Jesus, and that through his faith in you, he's coming to your family, and you've, you've healed him of his shame and his guilt, and you're teaching him how to surrender. So God, I pray that you continue to strengthen him from the inside, that you'd You'd fill his mind with truth and help him to know that he doesn't have to hide. He's safe with you. And help him to give that gift to his family and the community and those who are desperately searching for you. And God, I ask now that you would bring healing to his shoulder. God, we take authority over the pain and the brokenness that's here. And we ask for your healing hand to be upon him and for your kingdom to come, your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven for your healing to wash over him. And we just want to boldly ask for a miracle that his shoulder would be healed. We know you can heal through doctors and lots of different means, but God, we ask that, that you would heal him. And God, I pray for anybody here tonight that has been touched by your spirit through this message. I think we all have. Would you help us to hear what you want us to know about who we are to you tonight? Holy Spirit, would you speak to every heart here to encourage them with your love and your truth that we could follow you and walk in the freedom of being your sons and your daughters and the family that you've called us to be. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.